Ah, can you smell that? I love the smell of old comics. Just brings back... What? Am I the only one that smells my comics? Oh, I am? Alright, let's get on with the show. Don't tell me you don't smell your comics. You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. Hello everyone, and welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake, comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers. This podcast is going to be taking a look at Tim Drake, my favorite Robin. We'll be taking a look at Tim's first appearance in Batman Year 3, that's Batman 436, and working our way through Tim's training all the way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back and relax and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Hello everyone and welcome back for episode number three of Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, a podcast that is starting off with very little Tim Drake in it. And uh, I've said at the beginning of each of the episodes that this is really like the prequel of the Tim Drake story. Tim does make an appearance. It's in issue uh, 436 at the you know flashback scene at uh, Haley Circus. Uh, where Dick is getting ready to perform, and he has that nice little photo op with a young boy who's uh, just referred to as Tim. And uh, it's it's nice that they threw Tim in there, and then we go through the next three issues without any mention of Tim Drake or referencing the circus again until we get to Lonely Place of Dying, and then we see Tim show the photo, yada, yada, et cetera, that makes you go, oh, holy crap, that's the kid clear back from issue 436. So... I thought that was really nice. This is also for the podcast, the first comic that I'm holding uh, in my hand to be able to do rather than having to uh, read it uh, digitally to bone up and get all my notes for the podcast. Now, recently, I just won a eBay auction of some uh, Robin issues that I was missing from my collection. And one of the issues I got was uh, year three, part one. So I now have in my collection, Batman 436. So I'm only missing 437 and I'm sure I'll hopefully be able to track that down for whatever reason. It wasn't on my, it should have been on my radar to pick it up as I was missing this, I'm missing those two issues, but I have issue, uh, 436 now. Uh, and what really makes uh, this issue, I, I would say special for me, it's, it's the gateway drug or it's the, it's the lid to the rabbit hole that one goes down that gets uh, sucked in and engulfed by collecting comics. And this was the issue that did that. Uh, this and 439. Uh, I think I've said before, previously in the last uh, couple episodes, that 438 and 439 were on the spinner rack at a 7-Eleven in Columbus, Ohio when I was visiting my aunt. And uh, being a bi-weekly book or bi-weekly, bi-monthly book, both of those issues were still there. So you figure all the issues that they had there, um, I would have thought somebody would have pulled uh, 438, but they were both right there side by side. 
And what drew me to it was obviously uh, Robin on the front of the cover, the uh, wonderful George, per- George Perez cover, excuse me there, uh, seeing Batman and Robin kind of swooping in. And uh, I, I just I love it. We'll talk about the cover in a little bit. Um, but this was this was the thing that as I was on my way out buying, you know, pop and candy to head back to my aunt's house, I always spin through the spinner racks and bam, here I see Robin on the front cover. I'm like, that's all I need. So, uh, and something else that I really like is, let's see if you can hear this. Let's get up to the microphone. The sound, <laughs> the sound of the pages. I know that sounds uh, dumb to do, but just the feel and the texture. You know, I like having the new uh, 52 books or even the pre-52 books where, you know, it's we're on a, a nice thick uh, paper and the, the front and back cover on a more rigid, almost cardboardish type. But there's something about an old comic book that you're holding in your hands. And I don't know, it's... It, it's probably the closest we're going to get to time travel (laughs) right now until somebody comes up with an actual time travel that, you know, you just pick it up. The the tax style functions all set into your brain and uh, the sights, sounds and smells. And I remember, you know, the day when I picked this up and just that, just a feeling it's amazing what something just as simple as touching a comic book or, or anything just kind of, if you have an emotional, an emotional, an emotional attachment to something, it'll uh, it'll trigger a response. And uh, I I was real excited to get to you know this third episode to be talking about this issue, uh, just because this this was the first book that I bought with my own money, and uh, actually these two books together, uh, thirty eight and thirty nine. So it wasn't me, you know, begging my mom to buy a Batman and Robin comic book that, you know, I had my own money, went up to go get my own pop and I, I bought it. And then this would lead me into the only place of dying. And then all of the other issues that, uh, came after it. So this is, uh, thank you DC comics for, uh, <laughs> tempting me to buy comics and not turning back and looking forward. So enough of the pre opening of the show, let's get into the nuts and bolts of the show and get directly into the synopsis of part three of four parts of Batman Year 3, Batman 438. Welcome to the podcast, Robin. Everyone loves the Drake, even though Tim's not quite here yet. We're getting closer. A couple more episodes and he'll be here. Enjoy the show.
Batman 438, Year 3, Chapter 3, Turnabout. Uh, now that I have the comic in front of me, I can tell you that this is $1 US back in 89. Uh, $1. Uh, would love to pay $1 for a comic. Uh, in Canada, you were paying $1.25. Uh, the writing team is the same. Uh, we will read them anyway. Marv Wolfman is the writer. Pat Broderick is pencils. John Beatty is inks. John Costanza is the letters. I love doing that. Adrian Roy is the colorist. Dan Rapsler is associate editor. Uh, senior editors Denny O'Neill and uh, Batman Created. I've decided to add Bill Finger to this. Uh, anybody listening to the Fat Man on Batman and hearing everything about Bill Finger. So I'm going to include Bill Finger and Bob Kane as the creator. Take that for what you will. The synopsis goes like this. Alfred sits alone in Wayne Manor holding a gun, shaking his head. He knew that Zuko would be released this year. He felt it coming. Tony knew who and what and how to say it, and had been planning and plotting this for years. And tomorrow morning, the man who murdered the Graysons will walk out of the prison a free man. Alfred could not simply let this happen. Alfred practices raising a gun as if Zuko were in front of him. And then he drops the gun to the floor. He can't do it. I can't do it. Not for you, sir. Alfred worries on how Bruce will take the news that Zuko will be a free man in a few hours. Alfred gets into the, his car and heads out of town. There must be another way. As Nightwing rides through the streets of Gotham, headed to a crime scene, on the way he thinks back to the training Bruce gave him and how right now that is not matching up to what Bruce is doing. He's even going as far as removing every trace of Jason from the house and the Batcave. Dick feels like he is lost in the situation, unable to figure out how to help his former mentor. Commissioner Gordon stands in front of reporters answering questions about the latest mob killing, confirming that in the last issue, 437, that Ventura and his men were in fact killed. Uh, they don't know it was issue 437. We know that. Okay, let's continue. He says that they will track down the killer or killer responsible and he doesn't want an open war on the streets of Gotham. Nightwing arrives at the crime scene and begins to look for clues. Take your time. Don't rush the investigation. Cops don't know where to look where they can't see. Careful as the criminals are to try to make sure they get away, the trained eye can spot the mistakes that the criminals will make. Check all possibilities, and then check them again. You might not get a second chance. That's what Batman would have told him. Nightwing checks the broken pieces from the skylight, finding a string of silk. It's a piece of fabric. It's from a parachute. Nightwing tells one of the detectives on the scene, men responsible for this must have been dropped from a low-flying craft, a craft probably making noise. And if it was that low, it was probably spotted somewhere by someone. So that means it can be traced. Nightwing also finds a piece of glass with a fingerprint. This could be the clue that he has been looking for. Maybe the same one Batman is trying to find also. Gordon tells the media that he proposes a meeting of the mob families to try and solve this together with a moderator. One of the reporter asks, who would be crazy enough to do that? Batman stands in front of the mob families. All of them have their guns drawn at the dark night. Batman tells them that if they try taking him out, they might be lucky to do so, but they also might take out some of their own. But in the end, they will all be picked off, one by one, by whomever is doing the killing of the mob. And the Batman has a plan. The mob bosses are sure the Batman is not responsible and figures that if anyone can figure out who is behind this, it'll be him. 
all of them lower their guns. But one mob boss, who says they won't get a chance like this again to take out Batman, he raises his gun at the Dark Knight and aims. Alfred arrives at the Gotham prison, wanting to talk to Zuko. Much to the displeasure of Zuko's attorney, the warden allows Alfred a meeting. Alfred has one last chance left to make this all go away. Zuko sits down in front of Alfred. Alfred tells them that he will cut Zuko a check right now for the amount he picks if he will just leave town and never comes back once he's a free man tomorrow. He has put Dick Grayson through so much pain and that by leaving, he and Grayson can move on. Zuko looks and stares at Alfred and laughs. Sometime later in the Batcave, Nightwing is going over the fingerprint analysis found at the scene of the crime. Alfred comes into the Batcave wanting to talk to Dick, but Dick is so engrossed into the case and busy, he dismisses Alfred. The fingerprint is a match to Sherman Sectity, if I'm saying that right, from Miami. He was released four months ago, working as an importer, importer-exporter. He's wanting to focus more on the importing rather than the exporting. That's kind of what Art Vandelay told him. No. Okay, anyway, Alfred keeps trying to speak to Dick, but Dick cuts him off. Sounds a little familiar there, doesn't it? He's trying to sift through all the dummy corporations that Sherman has been working for, trying to find out who the real owners are. Across town, just as the mob boss opens fire on Batman, the Dark Knight grabs a serving tray to deflect the bullets and does his best Chan Van Dam and takes out the few bosses that resist him. Batman disarms one of them and grabs the gun and points it back at them and then quickly slams it on the table. Now can we talk, Batman tells them. Batman tells them that this is someone new. It's someone with loyal supporters wanting to take over the boss's territory. All the active crime families are represented. Well, all that are left, that is. So it can't be any of them. The rest of the mob bosses folded up a while ago. Valero, Tommy Panga. He went crazy from the Malibu incident. Even some of Zuko's former boys have been drinking their life away, waiting and hoping that sometime Zuko will be set free. Zuko. That's a name that brings back a flood of memories. It makes Batman recount he and Robin's first run in with Zuko as they bring him down for Dick's parents' death. The bosses tell Batman that Zuko can rot in jail with his little black book. Batman asks about the black book, and they tell him that it contains all the dirty secrets in Gotham and that Tony will use it to any means possible to get what he wants, basically control of Gotham, once he's released tomorrow. Batman turns his head, shocked by the news. Batman and the mob bosses pay a visit to Zuko's former thug Drexel and shake him down for answers on the mob killings. Batman says if Drexel is going to mess with him or lowball him, Batman can just leave the room and leave Drexel with the mob bosses alone. Drexel says he'll talk. In the Batcave, Dick is putting the final pieces together of the case. Alfred stands behind Dick, needing to tell him what he knows is going to happen tomorrow. Alfred reflects on the early years of Dick as Robin and how proud Dick was to be helping Batman fight his war on crime. And he feels that he's helping Batman too. And more importantly, he's helping Bruce Wayne enjoy himself. Dick's parents always told him to enjoy himself and that he feels that some of this is rubbing off on Bruce. Alfred is brought out of his deep thought as Dick reads the list of names the Batcomputer has come up with. Nathan Warkin, Tommy Denvers, and oh my God, Dick exclaims. Alfred calmly says, I think now is the time for us to talk. Nightwing races across Gotham. Along the way, he thinks about his parents. That once he stopped thinking about Tony Zuko, he also stopped thinking about his parents. 
And now with Zuko being released, it will be almost like nothing happened. Zuko will be out and his parents will still be dead. But getting mad won't change that. And it won't bring his parents back. So why is he racing to see the man that killed his parents be set free? As Dick arrives, he sees the Batmobile on a hill. Nightwing drives alongside the car. Dick is not surprised that Bruce figured it out. I mean, he's Batman for crying out loud. They both tell each other how they know that Zuko is behind the mob killings. Batman tells Nightwing that they could stop Zuko right now from getting out with what they know. Dick says he'd rather see Zuko taste a little bit of freedom before they throw him back in. In prison, Zuko is walking down the aisle in his nice suit that I'm sure he wore once he got taken in. His lawyer asks Zuko, now that he's free, this will conclude their arrangement. Zuko tells him that he's not going anywhere and that with his little black book, he will control all of Gotham and his lawyer as well. So he ain't going anywhere. I'm sure that's how Zuko said it. In the Batmobile, Nightwing and Batman are still discussing Zuko. Dick does not want to dredge up all these feelings again. He's put it behind him. He's moved on. So why don't they just take Zuko down and not mess around? Just as Zuko is about to walk out the front door of the prison, Tony's lawyer said that Tony promised him that he would erase the proof that Tony had on him. Tony tells them that, well, he's learned a lesson now, hasn't he? You don't con a con artist. His lawyer said that he should have destroyed that black book the first time Tony showed it to him. Now, that book and Tony will control every underhanded thing in Gotham. Tony crosses the courtyard gate and yells to Batman and stretches his arm in victory and breathes the night air. Nightwing hears a helicopter approaching. Behind him, he turns to look just as bullets riddle Zuko's body. It falls to the floor. Zuko is dead. Nightwing turns to his former partner and screams, You knew it, didn't you? You knew this was going to happen. You knew it, didn't you? Tune in tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. Okay, that was the synopsis for Batman 438, part three of year three for Batman, uh, written by uh, Marv Wolfman and uh, drawn by Pat Broderick. And uh, something that... uh, I would like to denote in this issue, it's not as flashback heavy as the last two previous issues were. Nice for me doing the synopsis for this uh, wasn't (laughs) quite as bad having to have the book flip-flop back and forth. We do get some flashbacks uh, told from a couple different perspectives as the characters in the book are remembering uh, kind of the retelling of Dick Grayson's uh, origin in here. Uh, Something I always thought was really striking in this, and again, this was the first book that... uh, First real comic book that I had picked up, granted, like I said, I had picked up a few other issues here and there uh, growing up as a kid, but this was one that I picked up with my own money. Yeah, it's a little bit nostalgic for me to kind of go back and look through this. Uh, Until doing this podcast, this is the first time that I've picked up Batman Year 3 in quite a long time to read or look over any parts. And this very first page on uh, page one here is seeing Alfred holding a gun um, just brings a couple thoughts to mind. Where does where does Alfred get a gun in uh, Wayne Manor scenes? How that that's the device that uh, killed Bruce Wayne's parents. And this should show the desperation of Alfred that he's tried everything he possibly can with the parole board wanting to uh, convince them that Tony... Uh, cannot and should be not released from prison and uh some nice little silent panels here on uh 
page two of Alfred sitting on the uh, edge of the bed. And you can see he's clearly shaking. And uh, just the uh, second panel on page two of Alfred pointing the gun basically at you. And I think that was part of the um, broadcast standards of commissions on TV up until probably, geez, probably the last 10 years. Uh, there was a rule that you could not point a gun at basically at the audience um, where the barrel is straight on. So you always had to do it at a side profile. I took a, uh, a course in a communications and video editing uh, back in college. And that was something that they talked about quite extensively is the, you know, use of violence and being able to point a gun or sword or weapon directly at the audience. You had to think that everything that you were doing, um, it, it shooting not shooting with a gun but shooting your uh, film uh, you had to do it to not really subject the audience and of course you know nowadays you can point a gun directly at the audience and you know f have the gun fire and have all that stuff so I kind of missed those days but back in 89 in comics that standard wasn't there even though on the front of the issue approved by the comic code authority so uh I, I found that just a little unnerving that, you know, here's Alfred uh, holding a gun and pointing it at me, the reader. So it was a little, uh, <laughs> a little jarring, uh, being a, uh, probably what I, I was probably 15, 16 when I picked this, uh, book up seeing that Alfred is at his, I wouldn't say his, the end of his rope, but he is at the end of everything that he can do that he is wanting to protect Dick Grayson so bad from this man getting out of prison. The one that killed his parents, that he is almost willing to resort to violence himself that, you know, what's Alfred going to do? Walk up to the prison so no, as soon as Tony gets out and bam, you know, shoots Tony. But I think that's at least in Alfred's mind. But then, you know, he comes to his senses and drops the gun and realizes, you know, I love the line where he says, I can't do it, not even for you, that he cares so much for Dick Grayson and does not want Dick to be hurt, that he is willing to risk possibly going to prison himself to kill the killer of his <laughs> uh, parents being murdered. So that, that was just a, a twist, but you know, Alfred comes to his senses and we see him on page three in the top three panels that he is heading into probably uh, the limousine Rolls Royce, you know, of uh, Bruce Wayne and is going to be heading out to try something else. And again, on page two, we see Dick Grayson's uh, Nightwing's wonderful white night bike, which I think is just bland and generic and, um, I guess it's par for the course of some of the late 80s, probably early, the early 90s, everything was overly done. Uh, the Batmobile, the Batman would drive around in the uh, 90s just looked more like an, an alien being <laughs> a futuristic car, almost like the car that uh, Dick Grayson and Damien would drive. Similarly, uh, the flying Batmobile and the Grant Morrison run, but that's that's later into the future for Dick Grayson. But right now, uh, Nightwing gets to drive around on the bland uh, night white bike. This this issue as a whole, I don't think is good is as good as the previous two issues. And we'll get into that as we uh, continue on here. Uh, on uh, page four, this is, uh, for me, this was the first time I had ever seen the uh, death of uh, Jason Todd done in any uh, form whatsoever and seeing the, you know, the crow, the crowbar incident as a, a friend of mine always referred to it. Like, you know, <laughs> like you would have a work related injury. You say, Oh, this is the forklift incident. So this is the crowbar incident for Jason Todd. So like I'd mentioned back in episode one, it wasn't until I got to high school in art class where I already had these two issues, 438 and 439. So I had no idea 
of uh, death of the family. So it wasn't until somebody told me that I went and actually got a chance to read uh, that uh, trade paperback. So this is the first time I saw, you know, how Jason Todd uh, was killed. And this would be in panel uh, two and three. I guess you could call it panel two and three. Uh, the top panel does have an insert panel of uh, Bruce Wayne's uh, parents' uh, death. But uh, seeing this uh, image of Joker, which looks kind of creepy, but he looks more like uh, Hugh Jackman uh, Wolverine than he does, at least in his hair, than he does the Joker. But seeing uh, Jason there reaching for his mother, then uh, Batman finding Jason. And uh, just, the, I think the image is now become an iconic image that you see quite a bit. Superman holding of a lifeless body, a Supergirl. But I think the this image of Batman holding Jason has, I think, kind of surpassed that, although I think some super fan, Superman fans would probably uh, argue uh, against me on that issue, but hey, it's Batman. He's going to win in the end, right? Okay. Uh, continuing on here. Um, now, this was uh, a part that I wanted to talk about with uh, Dick learning that... Uh, Tony Zuko is out there. At what point, um, and I tried to go back through uh, the previous issue and find out, you know, Dick is racing out of the Batcave, but you really don't know where he's racing out of the Batcave to. You think he's more importantly going to try and track down Bruce, but he's coming up on this crime scene where Ventura has been killed. And I love the cartoon uh, chalk outline bodies, <laughs> the dead bodies of the other uh uh, crime bosses that are in here where it looks like it's rolls of pipe or rolls of uh, looks more like a uh, carpet or, or something like that. It's really kind of weird. Uh, but again, just reading these uh, three issues uh, over the course of these last uh, couple weeks that I've been doing the podcast, it's more of like tap and chance upon this uh, warehouse. But we do get a little bit of a flashback with uh, Nightwing remembering what Batman had taught him. So you can kind of see him done in a purple hue ish, reddish hue of him as Robin and uh, Batman going through all the, you know, things what you, that you need to do when you're looking for clues and you double check and recheck. So, uh, I also find it kind of a uh, funny, a little humorous here. If I have my facts straight and I really think that I do, uh, that, the detective that's on the scene here, it's kind of a nameless detective as uh, Dick's kind of uh, collecting evidence for himself and for the police, which is really kind of weird. But anyway, um, one of the detectives says, uh, not bad kid, not bad kid. Ever think about becoming a cop? And uh, Nightwing's replies, nah, I hate punching time clocks, which is really kind of funny because it wouldn't be uh, for a few years yet until Nightwing goes to Bloodhaven. And what does he do in Bloodhaven? He becomes a cop by a day so he can get in with the... Uh, uh, police force, which I really think is kind of funny reading this now that uh, Nightwing wasn't a cop at this point. So I don't know if this was something that was uh, planned along out, but uh, since Wolfman was uh, writing this and Dixon would end up writing the Nightwing ongoing series. Um, so I don't know if that's just where this kind of came from or it's happened, happened chance, but it's uh, an interesting now reading this. That it's a uh, 2013. And then we get a, uh, a couple pages here of Batman uh, telling the uh, crime bosses what his plan is. And then you do have uh, one of them that's like, I don't want to hear this. And it's wanting to pull the gun on Batman. And then we get to uh, flip to a, another page <laughs> that uh, that's what this book does. Uh, I felt like we're going back and forth and back and forth between three different uh, 
story points, but you know, it, it all comes together. Um, I think it's before the days of like Blackgate prison. So it's just the generic uh, Gotham prison here on the top of page 10, I believe. Yes, it is top of page 10 as I'm looking here. This is where Alfred was headed to uh, the bottom of page 10. I always thought this was weird um, and kind of a little creepy of uh, the way this was drawn, where you see Tony sitting down in front of Alfred and uh, Tony is behind the uh, glass and it's kind of drawn in reflection that you can kind of see through it. So it's just a weird blue kind of iridescent look uh, to Tony and Alfred, depending on what side of the table it is. And uh, in the uh, fourth panel on page 11, seeing the uh, blank check that Alfred is holding in front of Tony, basically saying, hey, I've got Mr. Wayne's uh, checkbook here, whatever amount of money that you want, if you will just leave uh, Gotham. I always thought this was kind of weird and hokey that uh, Tony's kind of doing a Joker type laugh here. And Alfred's like, oh my gosh, he doesn't want paid off. <laughs> That's not a real criminal. So I always thought that was kind of a funny that uh, Tony is basically laughing at Alfred like you don't have any amount of money uh, to pay me off because everything that I have in my little black book I'm going to have five times the amount of money Mr. Wayne could ever afford to pay but if he was a real crook he'd say fine I'll take a 40 million dollars take the check and then can still continue to do whatever it was that he was going to do um, now this was something uh, that always really kind of bothered me as we get into uh, page 12 here that we have at the end of page 11, we have Alfred sitting in the prison and the very next page we have Nightwing and Alfred in the Batcave. So somebody could say, oh, Rob, you're being nitpicky. You know, it, it doesn't say a little balloon across the top or an inner monologue thing or, or something to let the reader know, you know, uh, moments later, uh, you'd have to use suspension of disbelief to know that Alfred got back in his car, drove back to the Batcave and is there with Nightwing. So uh, this was always one of those that I'm like, wow, Alfred travels really fast. Nightwing is doing his best uh, Batman impersonation as much as Nightwing does not want to do it. Alfred is wanting to, wanting to try and talk to Dick. Nightwing is basically like, you know what, right now I'm Batman. I don't want to hear anything. So then inside this uh, series of panels here on page 12, the very, uh, the bottom two, we see what was going to happen to Batman as the, one of the mob bosses was going to shoot at Batman. He grabs the uh, serving tray and this is done in kind of like a, uh, dialogue of Dick Grayson over narrating what Batman is doing for us, the reader of saying, you know, how sloppy he's become a Batman wouldn't have put himself in a situation where he's going to be point blank in front of a gun and having to react and look like this guy's going to shoot me. Now I got to grab a serving tray. And if there wouldn't have been the serving tray there, Batman could have been shot. So uh, again, this is for us, the reader. And this is the second time uh, that a Batman character is holding a gun and this time it's Batman. The very first page was Alfred. So we have Batman disarming one of the crooks in page 13 in the middle two panels. And again, at the bottom of page 13, we have Batman pointing a gun at us, the reader, which is really striking since, you know, Batman had never used a gun. And granted, I know there was a, a couple things in the early part of Batman's career where he did have a gun, but kind of retconning that out, that Batman would never use a gun, and here is Batman, and he ends up putting it down on the table. But it's it's always really striking whenever you see Batman holding a gun, especially. And uh, we get into this, even doing the synopsis for this, and in reading this, it's really kind of fuzzy 
what Batman and the crooks are talking about. You know, they're wanting to work together and it's basically just a, Hey, Tony's getting out of jail and all the other mob bosses are, we're all accounted for here. There were a few that were left, but they've either stopped or quit or, or gone crazy. I would have thought the mob bosses are basically saying, Oh, Hey, you know, Tony's getting out. And it's more of like Batman's going, what Tony's getting out. And, Tony has a book. We do have a, a nice blue and green flashback of uh, Batman and Robin together uh, that is uh, kind of continuing on from the previous issue of them tracking down Zuko um, for the first time together and uh, basically putting Tony in jail where he is at currently. So it's another little uh, telling of uh, Batman and Robin as they're kind of going through. Um, I love the bats in the middle of the panels on page 15 where they're opening the box and the bats uh, come flying out in front of the crook. So I always thought that was really kind of cool when uh, they would do something like that in the comics. Um, they don't do much of that anymore today, but um, I, I miss those uh, days where, and I know it's kind of corny and hokey, but it's, it does... It does bode well for, you know, the criminals be like, oh, how creepy would that be to open up a box and a bunch of bats come flying out? And the bottom of page 16 uh, is a weird is a weird look on Batman. This is the point where Batman finds out that Zuko is getting released from jail tomorrow. I, I would have thought Batman being Batman would have figured this out, but the way it's drawn, it's... They have the little um, hash marks coming off of Batman's eyes to supposed to represent that he's in shock, but it almost looks like he's smiling. Even now, I'm I'm reading this back when I was in high school and looking at it and going, he almost looks excited. And, and maybe it is after finding out what happens in the, the latter part of the book. And then this is another one of those here as we're into page 17 where I feel like we just jump uh, straight into something that we should already know, but we don't exactly know. Uh, we're kind of told in the dialogue balloons that this is one of Zuko's uh, former henchmen and Batman's threatening while well, he's Batman's brought the mob bosses. So what did they all pile into the Batmobile together? Or Batman says, okay, I'm going to, let's all leave. Let's go to Zuko's henchmen's buddy's house and you can follow me in the Batmobile. I'll meet you around the front of the corner of the building. It's <laughs> really kind of, Odd, but you know, I know we're not supposed to be asking questions like that. I know for story purposes, we're not supposed to find out what uh, Zuko's thug is uh, telling Batman, but we're supposed to know whatever Batman was supposed to find out. We don't need to know. We're just going to find out where Batman's going to. And the same with Dick Grayson in the Batcave. He's tracking down the fingerprints that he's collected. I'm going through all the dummy corporations, and I like—I would say—I like the look of Dick Grayson as Robin in the middle of uh, panel 18, but it—it it looks a little cartoonish. Granted, it's a comic book, but it, it doesn't quite match up with the way Dick Grayson is now. I think they were trying to draw him younger, but it doesn't quite represent uh, the style. Pat Broderick is drawing right now. So again, it's in a flashback and I'm probably reading too much into it, but I always thought the look of Dick Grayson as Robin without his mask just looks really weird. And then we get at the bottom of 18 where Dick is putting all the pieces together and uh, Alfred is basically saying, okay, now can we talk where Dick is finding out that it is Zuko. And uh, this was the part that uh, of the book that always struck me is, is something very typical that Batman would do. We're at the uh, Gotham prison. Nightwing arrives there, gets in the uh, Batmobile, and they're having their discussion, and Batman is still not wanting to tell 
Dick, you know, a much of anything. You know, Dick says, well, here's what I found out. Batman says, here's what I found out. And uh, Dick is having a problem with that. Look, if you knew this, why didn't you tell me that? And we'll find out, you know, why later. We uh, can go through the last couple of these pages uh, pretty quickly. It's Zuko basically getting out of the prison at the bottom of page 20 and uh, basically telling that his uh, right-hand man, his lawyer, that, you know, I own you. You're mine. Uh, the book says so. And the top of page 22 is always one of my favorite panels in this book is the shot of uh, Zuko coming out of the prison, but it's uh, from the perspective of Batman and Nightwing in the Batmobile. And you can see a uh, little tiny Tony Zuko coming out with his arms raised and, you know, basically taunting Batman that, look, I, I know you're out there. I'm free. And then the helicopter that we've uh, seen in the last few issues that if you look at uh, Nightwing, the way he's sitting in the Batmobile, you can see he's turning to look over his shoulder over behind the Batmobile and it's to see the newscopter and it's the newscopter that goes down shooting and killing the mob bosses. And that's exactly what happens to Tony here. Gets riddled full of bullets. And uh, I like the look of Tony in the uh, bottom panel on page 22, the look of utter surprise on his face that not only did he just step out of the prison as a free man, but he's getting shot <laughs> by probably his own helicopter. And of course, if you don't know that Tony is dead already, that we have to have his lawyer say, oh my God, oh my God, he's dead. And then the uh, last panel is the look of shock and horror on Dick Grayson's face where he knows that Batman knew that this was going to happen. And I think this is another of the, uh, I guess you would call the reasons Batman is unraveling. No matter who the criminal is, Batman would have stopped this, but that Batman just calmly sat right there in the Batmobile and let this happen uh, really kind of shows that the downward spiral that Bruce is on. So that is the end of going through uh, the book here and taking a look at the panels that uh, always kind of amused me and get a chance to talk about them. Uh, something some other podcasters do that I, I really kind of like is to show you the date and the age of this book, and that is to go through the ads that are in here. And, uh, you know, it's not something that I really pay attention to as I'm reading comics now and, you know, the New 52, and just the different ads and things like that. But uh, going back to uh, an older issue like this that came out in 89 and on the inside cover, seeing the Konami handheld game for the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming in, uh, looks like one, two, three <laughs> different uh, colors here. And uh, I remember having some of these games as a kid. I actually have a Konami uh, Batman animated series um, video game that I played. And uh, it was always really kind of hard <laughs> to win those type of games. But I had a Konami football game and uh, those different type of things. Um, one of the other ads in here, um, it says, Get all fired up for the adventure of a lifetime. Uh, Heidel. <laughs> <laughs> H-Y-D-L-E uh, for the Nintendo 8-bit uh, system. Uh, one of my friends that lived across the street as I was growing up for me always had these, you know, I had, you know, Indiana Jones or uh, Pac-Man, uh, Yars Revenge, if you remember some of those, or just, you know, Super Mario's. But he always had these weird games that uh, I never 
I never saw anywhere and couldn't figure out where Ryan could have possibly picked these up. And this is one of these games that he had. It was fun to play, but I never saw it. Um, so I always thought it was kind of funny. Uh, he also had this game, the uh, John Elway quarterback. Uh, very, very cheesy. He, uh, the Denver Broncos was his favorite team. So anything that had John Elway on it, he bought and this game was absolutely horrible. Um, nothing beats Techno Super Bowl even today. I don't care who you are. Anybody that's playing uh, video games will remember Techno Super Bowl, and it's something that uh, when he and I would get together from time to time, even now as adults, uh, that is something we would pull out. Um, we have some uh, video games for acclaim uh, that are really kind of hard to see. We have it looks like Airwolf, and uh, is kind of depicted here. Some uh, WWF uh, WrestleMania and the ink is so bad on this i can't even read what the third uh game is but one is airwolf and wrestlemania and uh i have no idea what the third game is supposed to be here because again uh the ink is uh, nice and smeared and into the paper uh, just how this uh hear that paper there <laughs> that's just how it was uh speaking of nintendo you uh, this was something that he did that uh his mother hated him doing is call for 24 hours to the sears uh catalog it's uh toll free but you know once you found out that you can call to you know order games and do things like this which he didn't do but this always reminds me of seeing those 1-800 or 1-900 numbers that if you're stuck in a video game call our helpline before the days of having a strategy guide and he used to get in so much trouble we would get stuck somewhere in mario and he was like i'll just call the strategy the strategy line and would be on the phone for like an hour and some change and that was quite a hefty bill and i can remember him constantly getting grounded and uh saying well rob he can't play right now because he's grounded for calling the helpline which i always thought was kind of funny and nowadays it's like well we're stuck in this level i'm just going to go on youtube and i'm going to watch somebody else play it and get it out or get my strategy guide out uh the nintendo set here that they are showing uh comes with uh, you Mario and Duck Hunt. You can get it from Sears, and uh, the Nintendo Action Set is ninety nine ninety nine. Uh, Sears and Robot Company. Uh, some of the other games in here is Contra. If you remember that one, that's thirty four ninety seven. Cubert. Uh, that was a f a fun game for me and my family. It looks like you can pick that one up for uh, thirty two eighty nine. So a lot of games in here. Spy Hunter. That was a game that I absolutely loved. Uh, Tecmo Super Bowl. If you wanted to pick that up from uh, Sears, Roebuck and Company. It is also thirty nine eighty seven. So there you go. If you were wanting to travel back in time, you can uh, figure out how much the uh, <laughs> those games are. Uh, a couple of the other ads in here. Um, Bionic Commando, something else from uh, Konami for the uh, Nintendo. Uh, did my friend Ryan have this one? Yes, he did. It was quite a fun game. Um, again, he he would get some of these games that. Uh, they were always cheaper because it wasn't the Pac-Man or it wasn't the you know some of the name brand games. His parents got him some of the cheaper games, which we kind of made fun of, but we actually found ourselves playing some of these cheaper games that were actually uh, quite a bit of fun. And this Bionic uh, Power, Bionic Commando Power, uh, was a uh, rather fun game to play. Uh, Mr. Bubbles tablets. Uh, I remember having this as a kid. You put Mr. Bubbles in there, and uh, my mother used to get so upset at us. Uh, putting in Mr. Bubbles into our bath because not only were the bubbles kind of purplish and pink, but uh, 
it made a lot of bubbles, and I can remember overflowing the uh, tub quite a few times. So, and then uh, to round out the John Elway collection in here, we can collect them all, include a pro set of uh, cards for the NFL. And uh, again, with the ink being really kind of distorted here, I cannot tell who produced these cards. Uh, yeah, it's almost illegible to try and read it. But uh, there's a pro set of cards from the, it looks like they're licensed from the NFL. Also, in each pack, you can win a piece of the NFL history, including memorabilia uh, available only in the NFL archives. Plus, you can get a chance to win a trip to the AFC, NFC, Pro Bowl in Hawaii. So there you go. Uh, and one of the uh, last uh, two ads in here is a uh, one of the first times you can get an off-brand uh, controller. It's the QuickShot controller for your Nintendo system that works just well for Works well for Nintendo, Sega, Atari, MXS, Commodore, IBM systems. So uh, there you go. That's where the start of the multi-controllers came from. And uh, the last final here is Take No Prisoners, uh, Operation Wolf uh, from Nintendo, from uh, Tokyo, Takio Games. Uh, did Ryan have this one? No, he did not. Did he want this game? Yes, he did. And sadly never got it. So that is going to do it for this episode. And uh, this will probably be something I'll do is check through all of the uh, ads at the end of the uh, episode. Uh, we've got uh, one more episode coming up for Batman Year 3. And then we will be getting into, finally, Tim Drake will make an appearance uh here out through the rest of the podcast and I will be having a special guest one of my uh, former co-hosts from the Bat Fans Without Pants podcast on the Batman universe uh, Terrence is going to be joining me on that episode and that'll be two episodes from now so thanks for uh, tuning in to this episode of Robin Everyone Loves the Drake and we will see you guys in a couple weeks thanks for listening to Robin Everyone Loves the Drake podcast this has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it, much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips as well. You can find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyonelovesthedrake. There you can leave comments on current episodes, as well as by heading over to the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin. Leave a comment there also. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one, and I'll read it at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R, as in Robin, 10myers at yahoo.com. And I'll read it. I love to read emails on air. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care.